Hello, it's Basha here. Listen, before we jump into this week's podcast, I want to tell you about something new that we're launching. And that is a podcast by my boss, James Harding. James is the co-founder of Tortoise and he is something of a big fish in the world of journalism. He was the youngest ever editor of the Times newspaper. He was director of news at the BBC and then he left to start the slow news revolution, Tortoise, which is the newsroom of course where I work and where we make this podcast. Now a lot of people who know James or who have worked with James or have seen him in action in the newsroom will know that he has this incredible ability to host conversations and an almost laser-like skill in getting to the heart of a question or a debate or a really fierce disagreement. And I'm genuinely not just saying this because he's my boss, although of course that would make sense. And that's really what his new podcast called Thinking with James Harding is all about. It takes the knottiest, thorniest debates of our times and tries to make sense of them and get to the heart of them. Here's James to explain what it's all about. Hello and welcome to A Thinking with me, James Harding. A thinking is intended to be a place for civilised disagreement. As journalism has become a battleground of its own in the culture wars, we set up Tortoise, a slow newsroom, as a place to listen, deliberately, to those arguments, all in the hope of coming to a clearer sense of what to think. Over the years, I've worked in a fair few newsrooms, and I've really come to love the arguments that we have in those newsrooms. And that's exactly what Roads Must Fall actually did, beyond the way we were framed, which I think has constantly been extremely unfair and we've been pathologized and, and demonized of. It's in those debates, those discussions, sometimes even those rather noisy standoffs, that I found out what I really don't know. What I find really strange about the freedom of speech argument is that you can disagree with everything apart from who gets the platform. It's where I've actually learned the most and it's certainly where I've got tested on what I really think. When I saw people being killed on Bloody Sunday, I mean, nobody had to tell me what happened in relation uh, to those particular killings. I was lying in the gutter looking at them. So when we set up Tortoise, a slow newsroom, we put the idea of those arguments, those open news meetings, at the heart of what we do. And we call them thinkings. And in this series of thinkings, we're setting out to examine the battle for truth. We relive one moment in the news that's come to define an issue or an argument. Let's say Twitter banning Trump and what that tells us about free speech. Or Dominic Cummins' trip to Barnard Castle and the press conference that followed it and what that tells us about the mainstream media's coverage of politics. Or, for example, the creation of Facebook's own Supreme Court and the power of the platforms. And then, in listening to the arguments, I hope that we come to a clearer sense of what to think. So there you are, a brilliant taster of what's to come. We'll be bringing you episode one of that podcast here next week. And in the meantime, you can search for Thinking with James Harding wherever you get your podcasts and you can subscribe now. So that's the new thing, which brings me to this podcast and this week. So in addition to launching James's new thing, we're also working on some big investigations and really exciting stories and mini-series that we'll be launching later this month. So we're taking this opportunity to re-up an episode from our archive. It's really, I would say, one of our best, and it was definitely, definitely one of my toughest interviews. And it was with the Kennedy that went rogue, the anti-vaxxer who seized on conspiracy theories in the middle of a global health pandemic. It was with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
Now, a huge amount has happened since we first told this story. We have vaccines for coronavirus now, and hopefully we'll all be getting one pretty soon. So it feels like the end of the pandemic really could be in sight. But for RFK Jr., of course, the vaccine is not good news. He's been getting busier and busier spreading his anti-vax messages, but he's also started to see more opposition too. He's not on Instagram anymore because he was kicked off that platform in February for, in their words, repeatedly sharing debunked claims. And now pressure is building again for social media platforms to take action against him after he released a documentary that's been really controversial and that critics say has specifically singled out black Americans and is discouraging them from getting the COVID vaccine. So how did it all come to this? How did RFK Jr. pivot from this hero environmentalist to a spreader of medical misinformation at a time when the stakes could not be higher? Well, listen, because it's a wild story. This was meant to be a story about Bill Gates. And by that I mean it was meant to be a story about how Bill Gates had become the subject of the number one conspiracy theory of the coronavirus pandemic. The conspiracy theorists allege the Microsoft founder helped develop the coronavirus and he even wants to implant chips in people to check their health. But quickly, it became a story about an entirely different man a man called Robert Kennedy Jr., or as he calls himself, Bobby. Hello. Oh, hey, it's Bobby Kennedy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. If you, if you don't mind, I'd like to and just then, talk to you. And then, as often happens when you scratch the surface, this became a story at the crossroads of everything. It's a story about the Kennedy dynasty and the place that it still holds in the American political psyche. It's about the birth of conspiracy theories and how social media became their rocket fuel. It's about the anti-vax movement and how it has gained ground during the coronavirus pandemic. It's about President Trump's administration and how it has sown confusion and mistrust during the worst public health emergency in a century. The coronavirus pandemic has sparked many conspiracy theories. And a wave of coronavirus conspiracy theories and misinformation is flooding social media. This just into CNN. Twitter has now restricted the Twitter account of Donald Trump Jr. after he shared video of medical doctors spreading misinformation about the virus. It's a sprawling, fascinating story that finds such a vivid expression in the journey of Robert Kennedy Jr. From the teen whose uncle and father were assassinated, to heroic environmental lawyer, to, as our investigation reveals, one of the most prolific super spreaders of medical misinformation and conspiracy theories during the pandemic. I'm Basha Cummings, and I'm going to tell you a story about contemporary America. From Camelot to conspiracy, from Kennedy to Trump, and everything in between. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In 1963, John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald on a November afternoon in Dallas, Texas. This is Edwin Newman in the NBC newsroom in New York. This information from Dallas. Two priests who were with President Kennedy say he is dead. He was declared dead at Parkland Memorial Hospital 32 minutes after the attack, aged just 46 years old. Images of that afternoon are seared in the collective American memory. The black, gleaming, open-top limo, Jackie Kennedy waving in pink. You know the image I mean. The knowledge of the affection in which my husband was held by all of you has sustained me. All his bright light gone from the world. All of you who have written to me know how much we all loved him. It was the first assassination of a world figure that took place in the age of TV. A newspaper report in London wrote on that day, every network and station in the country took up the plotting of the appalling story, the projection on television screens of a happy crowd and a grinning president only a few seconds before the gunshots. America was reeling. A symbol of optimism, of a new post-war generation, had been taken away from them before their eyes. And almost immediately, the myth-making started. And so did the conspiracy theories. In an interview with Life magazine just days later, Jackie Kennedy reimagined her husband's short presidency as the legend of Camelot, a story full of knights and triumph over evil. But whispers also started. Had Oswald acted alone? Was this, in fact, a government plot to kill the president? Well, let's get to it. Um, Could you just start by introducing yourself, saying your name, your your position at uh, the University of Virginia and the, you know, the books that you've written, just so we can have that as a clip to play in? Uh, Larry Sabato, director of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Larry Sabato, one of America's most famous political analysts, remembers it like it was yesterday. I needed to speak to Larry because I don't think it's possible to understand where we are now without understanding that moment. Kennedy's assassination came as a complete and total shock. We were in a kind of golden age, not that there weren't serious problems, civil rights being most prominent and too much anti-communism, lots of other things. But we were in a golden age after World War II and we were the preeminent uh, superpower globally. Uh, and I think uh, we had probably, um, in, a, in a, uh, a goods and services sense, the most prosperous country in the world. So we just didn't imagine bad things like that happening. And when it did happen, it shattered a lot of illusions. Um, 
I don't think many people from that era have ever gotten over it. I don't think I have. On a superficial level, uh, John F. Kennedy was arguably uh, the greatest orator since FDR, some say since Lincoln. But he, he reached people in ways that other presidents simply could not. Like the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And then, just five years later, in 1968, as America was still recovering, Bobby Kennedy, the dead president's brother, was assassinated by a Palestinian man while campaigning for the presidency. It's hard to imagine now just how shattering these events were for millions of people across America. Once again, uh, a Kennedy on the verge of the presidency this time was struck down uh, by bullets. Everybody said the same thing, the same two things. Not again. We might think that it's us that's living in the end times. But at that moment, something in America felt broken. Two men, politicians, brothers, projecting hope and promise were uh, dead. It just, it was a nightmare. And this was, this followed just by a couple of months, the assassination of Martin Luther King. Uh, and we wondered really whether we were falling apart. It really got to our core as a nation. And I remember discussions about whether the United States would survive as an intact country or whether we would have to split up much as the Soviet Union did. If you ask people who lived through that decade, one of the first, maybe the first thing they will mention is the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the assassination of Martin Luther King, and the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Those tragedies define the 1960s. And so a saint was born, or rather a saintly family, hit by tragedy after tragedy. And, and obviously then there was that moment, like you said, that Jackie Kennedy imagined her husband's presidency as the story of Camelot. But there's a danger, isn't there, with that myth-making? Because over time, those distort. And so you move away from a sense of reality. Is that something that you recognize? Oh, that's absolutely the case. And the Kennedy myth is there. I teach a class in the Kennedy presidency. And these are undergraduates. Uh, so they're 18 to 22. And they only know the myth. They really do. Now, they may have heard something about the scandals, but they know the myth. And it just overcomes anything else you've heard. And that was true for Bobby, too. That mythologizing didn't stop with John and Robert. The Kennedys are a giant family, and watching all of this unfold, his childhood scarred by two murders, his uncles and later his own father's, was Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was 14 years old when he was pallbearer at his father's funeral. Here's where Robert F. Kennedy Jr. comes in. He has one of the magic names. So it's a magical name tied to tragedy, to a revered political dynasty, and to a founding myth. That's how Robert F. Kennedy Jr. came of age. And at first, he had a difficult time. 
That year I began a decade of self-medicating, he wrote in his memoir. Drugs, it turned out, helped me to sit and focus. He has something called spasmodic dysphonia, a condition of the muscles in the throat that, as you'll hear later, leads to a shaking voice. In 1983, things really came to a head. Kennedy Jr. was charged with possession of heroin. I'm genetically hardwired to drink and drug myself to death, he said. But he overcame it. After cleaning up, he embarked on a hugely successful career as an environmental lawyer. For over three decades, Kennedy Jr. served as an attorney for top environmental groups, going toe-to-toe in lawsuits against corporate giants. I mean, it's impossible to read through his list of cases and not be impressed. He fought alongside Native American tribes against big companies, taking on Ford over the dumping of toxic waste on tribal lands in northern New Jersey. It poisons your community. It poisons your values. What I would say to you is coal is crime. Do not let it come through this community. And in 2017, and this is the really big one, his firm was part of a trial team that secured a $670 million settlement on behalf of 3,000 residents from Ohio and West Virginia whose drinking water had been contaminated. Now, that case is now a Hollywood film recently released starring Mark Ruffalo. You need to tell me what the hell's going on. DuPont is knowingly poisoning 70,000 local residents for the last 40 years. For decades, he worked for Riverkeeper, an organization set up to save the Hudson River from pollution. He won awards. He was named one of Time Magazine's Heroes for the Planet for his work protecting the Hudson River. It's a damn good story. A typically good-looking Kennedy fighting the big bad corporations, railing against the right wing. He was, as his uncle and his father before him, a hero. But then, something went wrong. Um, You tell me one piece of disinformation that I've put on the internet. Well, your claims about Bill Gates wanting to insert microchips into people. Read the statement that you tell me is wrong. Read me the statement that you say that I made that is inaccurate. You, you've also I, claimed said, that, that I, the Gates Foundation had been kicked out of India because they'd paralyzed children with the polio vaccine, which was found by... Five sources, five fact-checking. That's not what I said. To be absolutely clear here, RFK Jr. wrote on his Instagram page, Indian doctors blame the Gates campaign for a devastating vaccine-strained polio epidemic that paralysed 496,000 children. In 2017, the Indian government dialed back Gates' vaccine regimen and evicted Gates and his cronies from the NAB. I didn't say that. What did you say? You read it to me. Read me the statement that you claim. What you're reading is, and this is a trick that the fact-checking outfits use. They misstate my position, and then they disprove their misstatement. I challenge you to show me any statement that I've made that is inaccurate. 
not a not a statement that is a characterization of what somebody thinks I said. As I said, show the, me a statement that I made that is inaccurate. On that particular claim of Gates paralyzing children in India, many fact-checking sites, including Politifact, have found no evidence this is true. These were statements that you made across your social media uh, platform profiles. Um, let me let me give you another example in a in a YouTube video. Now, what, uh, yeah, tell me any example because so far you have told me nothing. So in a YouTube video, which has attracted almost a million views, you accused Bill Gates of developing an injectable chip to enable the tracking of human movements. And you accused Gates of using this emergency to promote his interests. Now, I couldn't... Of what? Are you you reading my statement or are you reading somebody's characterization of my statement? This is this this is from the YouTube video. One of the companies, he's got many companies that are installing chips that will carry around your medical records, but they'll also be capable of of carrying around your other data. So that if a cop pulls you over for speeding, he can scan you and look at your criminal record, look at your buying history, see if you've been to a liquor store recently. The injectable chip is is a claim that you have made. I mean, I'm happy well, to hear you say that, that you don't believe injectable. that. And are you saying that there's not that Bill Gates has not invested in injectable chips? In to to track human beings, I've I've seen no evidence that that's the case. Read my article and tell me the statement because all of the statements in my article on that subject are sourced. Every one of them. I had called RFK Jr. because I wanted him to describe his journey from heroic environmental protector and how it was that he found himself in this world of anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists. But he refused. He wanted only, he said, to talk about the issues. So let me tell you instead. It was in the early 2000s when Kennedy first became interested in vaccines. He was contacted by a woman who thought mercury in a vaccine could have contributed to her son's autism. She was worried about something called thimerosal. According to America's Center for Disease Control, it's a compound that has been used for decades in vaccines. RFK Jr. was hooked. He said a few years ago, When I started reading about it, I was dumbstruck by the gulf between scientific reality and the media consensus. He wrote a book called Thimerosal, Let the Science Speak, summarizing the studies that he said showed it was harmful. But he checked himself. He maintained that he wasn't anti-vaccines, he was just pro-safe vaccines. And people listened. If a superstar lawyer called Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was saying something was up, something was up. In 2005, he wrote a story for Rolling Stone magazine and Salon called Deadly Immunity. He was praised, but critics said that Kennedy had quoted stuff out of context. Rolling Stone had to issue a number of corrections, and in the end it got so bad that Salon eventually retracted the story. By this time, though, Kennedy was on a roll, and he wasn't by any means alone. He was making friends and allies with other celebrities and environmentalists who were enthusiastic critics of vaccines too. 
People like Andrew Wakefield, the discredited British anti-vaxxer now dating the supermodel Elle McPherson. Actors including Jim Carrey and Robert De Niro. I'm concerned and I want to know the truth and I'm not anti-vaccine. I want safe vaccines. When you get Their vaccine, message you was being heard. By now, it's 2017, a year after Donald Trump was elected, encouraging Americans to question authority, promising to drain the swamp. Meanwhile, many in the medical community are concerned about Donald Trump's belief that there is a link between vaccines and autism. RFK Jr. announces that he's been asked by Trump to chair a commission to review vaccine safety. President-elect Trump has some doubts about uh, about the current vaccine policies, and he has questions about it. He says his opinion doesn't matter, but he, but the science does matter, and we ought to be reading the science, and we ought to be debating the science. Suddenly, theories that had been circulating on the fringes were finding a home and a hearing in the White House. I asked Larry Sabato if it was still that Kennedy name that was so crucial in RFK Jr.'s rebrand in the world of medical misinformation. Oh, absolutely. That's the tragedy of it. We always invoke uh, dead heroes and we pretend to know what they would have said. I don't know what uh, Senator Robert F. Kennedy would have said, but I can't help but believe that he would have tried to counsel his son against this. Uh, you know, we'll never know one way or the other, but it's so damaging in so many ways. So, and he's cited all the time by the right wing because they say, look, we've got a Kennedy. And so that makes it bipartisan. The commission never happened, but the fact that the meeting took place at all shows just how far conspiracy theories and misinformation had infiltrated everyday politics. And this is key to this story. Just as RFK Jr. was transforming, America was transforming too. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Do you want to just introduce yourself, your name, your position at Miami, the books that you've written, and then we can sort of use that to introduce you in the podcast? Joe Yuzinski, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Miami. I study conspiracy theories and the people who believe them. I wanted to understand conspiracy theories better. Why did it feel like they were suddenly everywhere? Were they everywhere? Was it all down to social media? Did I call you Joseph or Joe? Joe was fine. So I called Joe. Think of him as a conspiracy barometer. So what conspiracy thinking is, is the general predisposition that people would have to believe in conspiracy theories. So imagine if you walk around with a worldview in which events and circumstances are likely to be the product of ongoing shadowy conspiracies by powerful people you dislike, um, then anything that happens, you're going to say, well, that's likely a conspiracy by some group I already don't like. And that makes it easy, when people have high levels of this, it makes it easy for them to buy into specific conspiracy theories when that conspiratorial logic is made plain to them. It's just now we have a president who has decided to use conspiracy theories and misinformation to motivate a coalition which is already disposed to conspiracy theories and misinformation. And what what is the ingredients of a good conspiracy theory? Well, what do you mean by good? <laughs> well, one that one that travels, one that many people buy into. So what we so by good you mean one that would we would actually consider bad. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. I guess it depends whether you believe in it or not. You might think it's good. <laughs> so let's say you're out of work because of the pandemic and you need to find a new career. And you say, well, this conspiracy thing seems to be taking off. How could I capitalize on this and perhaps become a conspiracy monger for money? Well, here's my advice to you, uh, but please don't take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, go after the big conspiracy theories um, that everyone could be interested in and accuse the big enemies that everyone can hate. So if I wanted to be successful as a conspiracy theorist right now, I would start talking about the political parties and the big banks and the evil corporations. Just bland, general. Everybody can say, yeah, I don't trust them. And I'll throw in once in a while the pharmaceutical companies and the medical establishment because everyone can dislike these things a little bit because they're abstract, faceless, nameless institutions. If I was to say, you know, the lizard people control the world and, you know, they have magic powers, then most people aren't going to buy into my theory because most people aren't concerned about lizard people. Um, but if you go after the big enemies that everyone can dislike, Without getting too specific, you could pull in a pretty big audience. Good advice. Don't do it at home, I guess. <laughs> it was like Joe was describing RFK Jr.'s transformation. He had retrained his focus from the big coal companies to the pharmaceutical companies. And the pandemic had provided the perfect storm. In an online health conference in April, attended by Kennedy Jr., the anti-vaxxer Andrew Wakefield suggested that the public had reached a point where they were now sufficiently sceptical of vaccines. He suggested that COVID-19 was a fallacy, 
that people's health freedoms were being violated and that coronavirus was no worse than seasonal flu. And these ideas were going viral. A month later, a 26-minute video called Plandemic falsely claimed that a cabal of elites was using the virus to profit and to gain power. It was viewed more than eight million times, according to the New York Times. They've done such a great job at manipulating the masses. There is no dissenting voices allowed anymore in this free country. On his own media platforms, Kennedy began to imply that Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious diseases expert, had an economic interest in promoting vaccines for COVID-19. In another Instagram image, Kennedy depicts Fauci and Gates as Dr. Evil and Mini-Me from Austin Powers. We have a vaccine to save the world, it reads. It's going to cost you six trillion dollars. Elle McPherson liked the post. My colleagues Ella Hollowood and Alexi Mostras have been analysing RFK Jr's social media activity throughout the pandemic. They found that these posts are a new thing for him. RFK Jr only started posting claims against 5G in October 2019. Now he posts anti-5G content once every seven days. These include claims that 5G damages our DNA, causes cancer, and is being stalled not to speed up our downloads, but to carry out mass surveillance. Kennedy only posted about Bill Gates twice before December 2019, but since the pandemic, he's mentioned Gates once every five days. His highest ever performing post was about Gates and was flagged by the fact-checking site PolitiFact as false. But it seems clear Kennedy has used the pandemic to diversify and amplify his message. The key thing here is this. Kennedy still believes that he's on the right side. His work holding big coal companies and evil corporations to account, his messages on vaccines are, to him, a continuation of that campaigning. Let's move on because we're getting, we're getting stuck in a rut here. But I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, you have faced a tidal wave of, of criticism, even from your own family when it comes to vaccines. And, you know, part of the reason I was so keen to talk to you about your environmental work is that for decades, you were you were lauded as as, you know, an environmental lawyer fighting to world to make the world a, a healthier, better place. And and now many people have accused you of becoming a danger to public health. And I wonder how you conceptualize that shift in your career Wait, and your you, focus. What was your last statement? That lately I've what? That you may have become dangerous to public health. Why? Because I'm saying things that pharmaceutical companies don't like or that regulators don't like. Well, and the scientific community... I, I would disagree with you. I would say... I, I would ask you this. Why do you think we have 54% of our children now have chronic disease in the United States? Let me ask you this. Where do you think the autism epidemic came from? In my generation, it's one in 10,000 people. In my children's generation, it's one in every 34. Where did it come from? These theories are traveling. 
they're finding huge audiences, particularly on social media. What are the links between the vaccines and autism? I've read a lot of posts about that on social media. Now, I can really reassure you about that one. There is no link between vaccinations and autism. There have been lots of studies looking at this and there just isn't a link. I think there is a lot of fake news out there and it's difficult to find a reliable source of information. The NHS website is one that... A study last year found that just two organisations were responsible for the majority of anti-vaccine ads on Facebook before that kind of content was restricted. And who runs one of those organisations? RFK Jr. Hold on one second, because I'll give you actual poll numbers on it. Joe from the University of Miami has polled how far these claims are travelling. And his numbers are, let's say, sobering, which is an understatement. Joe was fairly blasé, but as you'll hear, I found them pretty shocking. I asked him just how far the Bill Gates conspiracy had taken hold. So I polled on this in June. So a representative poll of Americans... Uh, we gave them the statement, Bill Gates is behind the coronavirus pandemic. And we got about 13% to say they agreed with it. So that's one of the least believed things that we polled on. Okay. And what, what was the most believed? Uh, so the most believed we get are that it's being exaggerated for political purposes, which comes in around 30%. And then the bioweapon idea comes in, you know, right around there, 29, 30%. So we asked, uh, we gave people the statement, the coronavirus is being used to install tracking devices inside our bodies. We got about 17% agreeing with that. That still sounds like a lot of people. But it's not. It's not. So, so, so it, it, I, I mean, if you take for granted that conspiracy theories are going to be believed by a certain amount of people, the question is, you know, what then can we say about a conspiracy theory in terms of how many people believe it? Is it believed by relatively a lot or relatively few? And 17% is, is, it sounds a lot, but it's relatively few. It's sort of par for the course. I mean, people make up conspiracy theories on polls and get similar numbers. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm in slight shock. 17% just sounds very high. I don't know whether you're just quite used to this. I'm the eternal <laughs> optimist. Okay. <laughs> Joe might be an optimist, but it turns out that on this stuff, I'm not. I'm terrified. Last year, America suffered its worst measles outbreak in a generation. Things have gotten so bad that the World Health Organization has listed vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 threats to global health. And now that we're in the middle of a pandemic, the stakes are even higher. 150,000 Americans have died. But in May, a survey by two academics found that 23% of Americans would not be willing to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Last week, a doctor who thinks alien DNA is used in medical treatments stood on the steps of the Supreme Court and gave a speech about how hydroxychloroquine is the cure for COVID-19. But that's untrue. But the conservative news website Breitbart broadcast that speech to its millions of followers. And then President Trump and his son, Don Jr., tweeted the video. By some estimates, that video has now been viewed by 20 million people on Facebook. 
So RFK Jr. is not alone. The mistrust and misinformation carries the presidential seal of approval, amplified by a new political dynasty. And that's the thing. That's the key to this. Kennedy's journey is the journey of contemporary American politics. It's the journey from a golden age in the 1960s via tragedy and restoration to something much darker. And with an election approaching only three months away, with the pandemic still raging, I had to ask Larry, the king of political forecasting, what he thought we're facing next. Larry, I, could, I can't talk to you without asking you, and sorry for the gimmick line, to get your crystal ball out for just one <laughs> moment. <laughs> it's got some cracks in it. You know how old crystal balls are. <laughs> I'll take it. Cracked, dusty, however it is. Um, you know, you're, you're the, one of the most experienced analysts of voting trends. There's an election in November, an election in a pandemic. Does the truth matter anymore in American politics, in the American public square? Does the truth matter in American politics? We're going to find out November 3rd. We're going to find out. Personally, I think for a solid majority, yes, it still matters. And we'll prove it this November. But what is disturbing is that for tens of millions, it doesn't matter anymore. We are in the post-factual era, not just in America, but around the world. And of course, some societies have never experienced anything but post-factual government, authoritarian government. Uh, this, this is, to some degree and to a great degree, a new experience for the United States. And that's why not just Democrats, but many Republicans who are in the Lincoln Project and other things you've read about, uh, many Republicans are working very hard to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't just lose, that he is repudiated. The margin matters. The margin in the popular vote, the margin in the electoral vote. Almost everybody who's anti-Trump wishes the election were tomorrow because he would lose overwhelmingly. But the election's 99 days away. And in Trump years, you know, that's a century at least. From Camelot to conspiracies, six decades have passed since a Kennedy urged the world to begin anew, to join a peaceful revolution of hope, to remember that civility is not a sign of weakness and that sincerity is always subject to proof. With a good conscience, our only sure reward with history, the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the The most prominent Kennedy is now using his platform to spread what we would call misinformation, to spread a message of mistrust and suspicion. He has been on a remarkable journey, one that ties the ideals of his uncle and his father to our present moment. But the question remains, is there still a place for civility and sincerity in our society. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Slow Newscast. The reporters who worked on this story were Ella Hollowood and Alexi Mostras, and our producers were Gary Marshall and Tom Kinsella. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I think, as I do every week, that there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all the other journalism that we do at Tortoise. There are articles that you can read on our app or online. And because we're an open newsroom, that means that there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell. And of course, I've got a special discount code for you. So if you go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use the code BASHA50, that's B-A-S-I-A 50. Just as importantly, if you like this podcast, do share it or give us a review or tell someone about it. Thank you and see you next week. Larry, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed chatting with you. And I, actually, I didn't chat. I monologued you. And I, I do apologize for that. That's what a podcast is for. <laughs> <laughs> I just good. ask the That's questions. True. You monologue. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. How do you solve a crime in reverse? When you believe that someone was murdered, but have no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.